Well, hi. This is kind of a weird thing um, that I decided yesterday to do. Um, I've been thinking about a couple of different things, and one is that we are coming up on the second anniversary or birthday of the Artifice podcast, um, and that just feels like a big deal to me. I, I know, you know, starting a podcast is not not what it used to be uh, these days. Um, it seems like everybody has a podcast. Um, but, you know, I really feel like for me, this is something that, um, I don't know, I mean, there have been 90 episodes and I, um, I don't know, I really work hard to make them special and, and it really feels meaningful to me. So, um, so it feels, it feels like a big deal to me to, um, to be coming up on, on the second anniversary. It'll officially be March 20th, um, and then also a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned in my intro that um, I've just been thinking about a lot of things and, you know, feeling some clarity about things that I hadn't felt before. And, you know, I've been thinking about whether I should talk about that and and if so, how. Um, and yesterday I went on a long walk with Andrew and Bear and we were kind of talking about it. And Andrew was like, you should really just you know, record a little monologue for the podcast. I had kind of been thinking about it and he was like, yes, you should absolutely do that. So if you don't like it, blame Andrew. Just kidding. You don't need to blame Andrew. Um, but I wanted to kind of, you know, you, you guys, if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you've heard me talk a lot about, um, my experiences, you know, as I'm kind of talking with my guests, um, so I think probably everything that I feel like I might want to say today, you've probably already heard. Um, but I, you know, I thought I would just kind of think out loud and, and talk through some of the things that I've been um, thinking about in this last, you know, probably close to a year now since masks came out. And um, anyway, so I, I guess I'll get started. So kind of th one of the big things that I like, I think probably the biggest thing that I've personally been reflecting on as an artist um, in this last year is just, you know, wh what, what am I doing? Like, where do I kind of get, um, like, what is valuable about what I'm doing? And, and I don't, I don't necessarily mean that in terms of like, what's, you know, monetizable or, or marketable, um, or even what's valuable, you know, to my audiences. Um, but more just like what's valuable to me? Like, how do I see the value of my own work? And, you know, it, it has me kind of pushing up against some like things that are just old, like old worries and old hurts. Um, and I feel as though I'm kind of ready to confront some of those things in a new way. But, you know, when I think back about like my own artistic identity, um, you know, from the time I was such a little kid, I, I felt sort of artful about things. And I, and I don't know that I, um, you know, could have possibly, like verbalized any of of what that that means but you know when I think about what feels artful to me now like what that feeling feels like um what it feels like to me to um be in a good mindset for creating art or when I think about the things now that feel sort of like 
gifts to me, like th- things that, I don't know, like just make sense to me or the the kinds of things that feel sort of ethereal about making art, those kinds of feelings, like I can remember feeling them as a little kid. And, you know, I, of course, I've talked a lot about my childhood, um, but what feels clear to me in, in retrospect is that those particular things, like those things that feel that that felt to me then and feel to me now to be sort of these precious, like beautiful things were just not valued when I was a child. Um, and, and I, when I, when I think really carefully about it, I think, I think they were mostly just not valued. Um, and, and less often, you know, actively criticized, but I think mostly just, you know, I didn't have kind of anyone around me, like nurturing those things or finding them precious, like about me. Um, I think in, in most ways they were probably like mostly kind of invisible. Um, just not, just not really noticed, even though those were things that felt very me to me, (laughs) like they felt, they felt important to me. Um, so I think I just kind of started I don't know. I I I think from a young age I kind of felt like well, these aren't things that I'm allowed to talk about um or pursue or kind of embody. They're like again, I don't know that for the most part anyone was like saying to me like these kind of daydreamy things that you have or just the the ways that, you know, I was like sensitive as a child. I don't know that that my parents uh were were saying that often to me that um those things were silly or or bad, but I think just the the lack of um like attention to any of that um combined with like certainly occasional criticism for, you know, again these like being sensitive child being um you know, dramatic maybe, um, was certainly a criticism that I started hearing from my parents very early on in my life. Um, so I think I got the idea like pretty early that, yeah, I didn't have permission, um, to kind of explore that like whimsy that, you know, any of those kinds of things. And, and I also like, you know, just separate from that, but of course it's, you know, related, just felt kind of undervalued and, and, um, a real lack of worthiness from an early age. Um, meanwhile, I think, you know, again, from a pretty early age, um, the, the praise and sort of value and love and care that I did receive was almost always from my school teachers, um, maybe occasionally, you know, my friends' parents, but I think more frequently my school teachers. And the things that they valued about me were, you know, kind of being um, like productive. And I know that's not like a word that we would apply to children, but I, I can't think of a better word for it. But, you know, I was always kind of going the extra mile on my little assignments. And um, I don't know 
what your experience is, but I feel like I remember from, from a pretty early age having the kinds of assignments where there would be like a list of things that you could do. Like, you know, in addition to your, you know, main assignment of like, you know, writing a little thing or like answering some questions, you could make a timeline or you could, you know, make a freaking diorama or you could make a little picture book. And I always kind of just wanted to do all of the things. Um, and it genuinely wasn't like, because I wanted, I wanted that praise. I just felt like it would be fun. Um, like I would look at the list of like things that we were, we could do. And I would just be like, well, I can't choose. Those all seem really fun. So I would do all of them. And, you know, then I would have teachers like praise that they would be like, wow, you did like all these extra things. And I would kind of think like, really? Like you like that? Um, cause I just like was having a blast with that. Um, and so I, I, you know, I quickly learned to kind of lean into that sort of impulse, um, to kind of, you know, like, um, go the extra mile, which is was something I, I, I usually, you know, genuinely love to do. Um, and I learned really early that that was something that other people valued in me as well. Um, and then, you know, as I got older, I think there was, um, I, I got a, I got a bit of extra praise for like being assertive. Like I, I tend to be the kind of person that in like, you know, class discussions will, you know, be pretty eager to raise my hand and like add thoughts, like as you guys should know <laughs> about me by now, like I like conversations and discussions and, um, yeah, that was also something that I think pretty early on, um, I was developing and all of those things do feel really important to my creativity now. Um, but in retrospect, I can see like those kind of facets of my creativity, um, pulling ahead of these kind of more sensitive, more kind of private, um, you know, imagination, like daydreaming things, um, that, that really do feel important to me now. And, and like I've said, they, they felt important to me then they just, you know, took a back seat for all of these kind of, I don't know, these, these very sort of practical reasons. And as I was trying to kind of like deal with, um, you know, what, what started to really be trauma in my childhood. Um, you know, and I think, I think a lot about my decision to major in music. Um, you guys have heard me think about it, you know, out loud, um, as I'm talking with my guests about their experiences and I still am not totally sure what happened. I mean, I know that I felt, I know for sure that I felt that little sparkle of some of those more, um, you know, esoteric, ethereal kinds of things um, when I when I was, you know, a, a junior and a senior in high school. I felt some of those things coming back into focus um, in like the choirs that I was in. So um, specifically, I was in like a, a jazz and madrigal ensemble um, in high school that was, I, I think maybe 16 singers, um, like a pretty small group. And, um, I don't know that I've ever talked about this on the podcast, but specifically there was one trip that we took, um, with the choir for a little like competition and a festival in Flagstaff, Arizona, which was a couple of hours north of where I grew up. Um, 
and it was for a, a madrigal festival. So we, we weren't singing jazz. We were singing like madrigals, which for anyone who doesn't know are kind of like old. They're, they're really old. Um, it's a, it's a, it's like a genre of choral music. Um, and we were singing in this like cathedral and we were singing this piece, um, Io son la primavera, which was, um, it's like a, I think it's, I forget if the, um, arrangement is Chanticleer or the King Singers. I, I want to say it's the King Singers, but I don't really remember, but the piece has like nine different parts and, uh, again, there are 16 singers and the way it was balanced, like throughout the piece, you know, there were times where like several of us were on our own part throughout, throughout the song. And I don't know, just the way the piece moves and the way it felt like in that space, in that, in that, uh, cathedral, it felt so like, I don't know that kind of otherworldly thing. Um, and it kind of like broke my heart. Like I, I felt very like kind of quiet and almost like sort of like in, in reverie, like a reverence, um, on like the bus ride home. And, um, I felt, yeah, like I, I, I did, I felt a little heartbroken. Like it, it, I, I remember the day like pretty clearly. Um, and I remember just feeling like I can't lose this thing. And I, and I remember kind of having a bit of a feeling of like, this thing, this feeling, this kind of like magic sort of a thing. Um, I haven't been like leaning into this. Um, and, and it does feel precious to me and I feel like it's something that I can't afford to lose. Um, you know, and I thought over that week, um, maybe, maybe, I don't know, it was at least a week. It was maybe a little bit more, but, I, I thought a lot and, and at this point, um, it was the spring of my junior year of high school. So, you know, I was kind of like taking, you know, getting, taking the ACTs and kind of getting ready to send in college applications maybe, um, in, in the next little while. And I remember like really, really wrestling, like after that day and having that experience and, um, knowing that my parents would not be like not be okay with me studying music. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just, like I said, I've been kind of reflecting on these things a lot lately and, and, and I always do. Um, but I think there was something in that moment that kind of reconnected me with some of those less active, um, parts of my creativity, like the things that are a little bit more just kind of like inherent or, I don't know, they feel, they feel less directional. Like, you know, a lot of the kind of methodical parts of creativity feel, feel directional. Like there's a beginning and a middle and an end and you can make a plan. Um, and then there's these other pieces that kind of just like are, um, yeah. And I think I felt like I need some of that. I need that. Um, and I also think that possibly there was like a little bit of my you know, young self that kind of felt like I needed to get farther away, like from my, um, you know, my surroundings. So, you know, my, my family, I, again, I've talked about this on the podcast, but I'm, I'm the first person in several generations of my family to go to college anywhere other than Brigham Young University. Um, it was always kind of the expectation. It wasn't like, well, when you go to college, 
you know, wherever you go to college, it was like, well, when you go to BYU, um, and I don't know, I think maybe a part of me had like a, an instinct that I needed to just get farther away and BYU didn't and uh, doesn't have a jazz studies program. Um, so, you know, maybe that's some of, maybe that's some of kind of what led into my particular decision. But anyway, all this to say, like, those are some things that were happening at, happening in my um, mind and in my heart at this kind of crucial juncture. Um, so I went to the University of North Texas and, you know, um, my, my sort of, um, personal, like creative, like art identity struggle, of course, like continued through that time. And, you know, again, in retrospect, I can think like, well, you know, I was struggling with some of these like gender and religion things and really feeling like, do I actually get to dig into these things that I feel passionate about? Or am I, um, you know, I think at that point in time, like I felt like it was really selfish of me to have any of these, um, like desires and passions, like period. Um, I think I felt like, well, it's just not practical. Like these aren't the kinds of things that I'm like supposed to think about, um, you know, as a woman, like these aren't, these aren't my, um, this isn't my role. Um, but I also kind of felt like, well, you know, I need, I need a job and well, I'm not married yet. You know, I don't know. Um, but I, but I definitely did feel like torn at, uh, you know, in those five years that I was in school between, you know, really leaning into artistry and really trying to like, um, like flesh out that part of my identity. And I felt it much safer and more comfortable to lean into these other parts of my creativity, like, you know, kind of being this, like, again, this kind of, like, just producing a lot, like, just um, creating a lot of things um, that certainly touched on these kind of um, more ethereal art things, but, but were tucking them in to this other kind of more practical thing rather than, like, leading with them. Um, and of course, of course, of course, like my self-esteem was so fragile at that time. Like, you know, just, um, the way that my parents were talking to me, um, at that time in my life was really harsh, (laughs) but both of them, you know, um, they made fun of me a lot for majoring in music. Like there was teasing, um, like active teasing. And then there was also just a whole lot of like, our family's better off when you're not here. Like, I don't know. It was really hard. It was, it was an emotionally really hard time. And at that time I did not talk about those things with anyone, nobody. I mean, I maybe like hinted to my roommates occasionally, like that my relationship with my mom was difficult, but I certainly wasn't, um, talking about it like the trauma that it was, that it, that it really was. Um, and I was struggling with a lot of things. I had really, really bad insomnia. Um, I was anxious a lot. Um, yeah. So again, like this kind of identity, just feeling really fragile and and fractured and confused. Um, and then when I started my master's degree, I, I sort of made like a a conscious decision to tr- 
like establish um like to to kind of undeniably like I don't think prove is the right word because it, it really was as much about my like my own experience as anyone else's but I felt that I wanted to be very sure before I left school um that I had anchored some of this kind of more um like I I don't know what to call it but this this kind of more magical side of my artistry like you know I can call it like ephemeral or you know just these things that felt kind of more abstract and less you know action-based um I wanted to I wanted to have like evidence of those things before I left school I think I had like a a gut instinct or or a I don't know something in between an instinct and a premonition um that once I left school, it would be a lot harder. And I wanted to at least build that foundation. Um, and so I started writing my first album, Embark. And when I look back at that, I can see, like, there is so much magic in the the, the music that I wrote for that album. It's, um, it's, it's stuff that I still, when I listen to it, I, th I think to myself sometimes, like, I don't know how I wrote that. Like, it feels kind of magical. But I also am positive that there was a lot of fear and, you know, kind of imposter syndrome going on. And I felt like, I don't know if I'm allowed to be this kind of artist. Like, I don't know if I'm, um, if anybody wants this or, or if I, like, again, you know, kind of these like worthiness kinds of things. Um, but I did it, you know, but I, I did it. I finished it. I finished the record before I left school. And then, um, you know, and then I entered this this period that I feel myself kind of starting to come out of now. And I've definitely talked about it, um, you know, with with, you know, with you guys with um, on the podcast a bit. And I've written about it a bit. Um, but, uh, you know, when I left school, um, Andrew and I moved. We, we had just gotten married. We got married um, the summer, like like a few days after my first year of my master's degree ended. So that second year of my master's, we were married. Um, and then we moved to Utah because Andrew had been accepted into a PhD program at the University of Utah. And I had a very hard time with, with that experience. I had a really hard time moving um, to Utah. I cried a bunch that first little bit. And I, when I look back on it, I, I think like, you know, and it's not even so much in retrospect. Like I, I knew some of this then, not that I was brave enough to like verbalize it necessarily to anybody, but I felt like grief. Like I felt a loss. I felt like, you know, all of these decisions that I made to kind of get me away. Um, and, and that, and those decisions felt really risky and really brave. They weren't easy decisions for me to make, to move to Texas, um, to, you know, take these risks. And I felt like defeated, um, moving back here, moving to Utah. I'd never lived here before, but moving back to, you know, a culture that was much more similar to my youth. And, I knew, I think I knew that like moving back to Utah would put me, um, in a environment where like different things were expected of me. Um, and I felt so much 
so much fear and grief about that. And, um, you know, Andrew, like it's, it's, it's a weird thing to think about because I'm, I'm certain that I wasn't saying these things to him. Like I felt too much kind of fear and, um, shame, I think about a lot of the things I was experiencing in my own mind and body. Um, and, uh, yeah, I certainly like, I was not prepared to, um, to say a lot of these things out loud. I mean, I maybe said little hints here and there. Um, but I, I think I was really starting to struggle with the idea that, um, maybe I didn't want to be a mom. Like, I mean, I was really starting to kind of have a lot of fear and the more that I thought about, um, becoming a mother, the more that it became, um, I couldn't ignore like the trauma with my own mother. Um, and yeah, moving back to Utah, like, you know, if we had been, if we had stayed in Texas or gone anywhere else, I think I wouldn't have had to think about these things in the same way because I was 23 or 24. I was 24 at this time, which is, you know, if you're, if you're in Utah and you're Mormon, 24 is not too young to have kids. <laughs> if you live somewhere else, 24 might be too young to have kids. And certainly people won't question you if you don't. Um, but I knew moving here that people would start to question me and that I would have to start confronting these things. And I was terrified. I was terrified about it. Um, but the one thing that I think was kind of positive for me at, at that time is Andrew was working on a PhD and he wasn't making any money. So I felt permission, um, not from Andrew, but like from the culture, um, to lean into my career. That said, I felt like I couldn't lean into the parts of my career that were, um, kind of more artistic because we needed money. So, um, so I was very creative during these years. Um, there, there, you know, there was like a five year period. Um, is that right? Maybe it was even more than that. Yeah. I think, I think there was, there were several years where I didn't write any music. So I had, I had released Embark, my first album, and I wasn't working on writing music for several years, but I was extremely creative. Um, I was very creative with how I was building my private teaching studio, um, really thinking outside the box about what I wanted to do and what I wanted that to look like. Um, I guess, you know, most of my projects, most of my creative projects were kind of like in, in that realm. Um, but I, I was, I was actively creative, um, and, and feeling a lot of, um, like positivity and, and kind of personal growth around those things. Um, but yeah, I did, I, I definitely didn't feel like permission to kind of make anything that was more about my own personal artistry. Like the stuff that I was working on was kind of, you know, it was creative for others. It was creative for my students, um, primarily, I think, and, and creative, um, in the building of like a, um, like some, you know, some like wealth for Andrew and I, I knew we wanted, like, I really wanted to, to build a house. Um, I've talked about this on, on this podcast a bit. And I talked about it a lot in, in, an, um, an interview that I did for another friend's podcast, but, 
um, building a home was like something that I had always wanted to do and started saving for that when I was 18 years old. Um, like I had like a, this is my like build a house fund when I was 18. So, um, so, you know, by the time Andrew and I moved out to Utah, um, I had saved about $40,000. Um, and then, you know, that felt creative to me, <laughs> like thinking creatively about money and thinking like, you know, I want to build a home, um, you know, um, thinking about how to like earn income using my creativity also felt very creative. So anyway, I, um, you know, all this to say, I was creative during that time, but I don't know that I was like artistic per se. Um, and then you know, so that was a four year period. Like it was four years that Andrew was working on his PhD. And I think I wrote one song, um, villain from masks. That was the first song that I wrote from like that collection. Um, I think I wrote that a year before Andrew finished his PhD. Um, and then I started writing graceful and mysterious. I wrote like about half of it, like, um, that fall. So I wrote villain in like May or June. Um, and then I wrote Grace, most, most of Graceful and Mysterious that fall. And then I didn't write anything else for kind of a long time. So I'm trying to think of what else I wanted to say about this time period. I, I think, I think the, the most important things are just, um, that I was, I don't know. I was, I felt things coming to a head. Like I felt, I felt, um, like I had been creative. I felt so proud of the ways that I had like, um, leaned into my music skills in order to, um, you know, take care of my little family for these, these four years. Um, but I was starting to feel a lot of, um, you know, that kind of old grief, um, coming back and, um, feeling like I wasn't paying attention to my art, my, my artistry in a way that I wanted to. And also, more importantly, feeling like these these traumas um, were, I could not keep ignoring them. Um, I was, I, I, I've talked about this a lot, but I was having panic attacks like almost every day and I had this kind of unbearable back pain. Um, my body was just like, my body was telling me that I, I couldn't ignore these things anymore. So, um you guys, I think you guys know I started going to therapy. Um, and I, I, I forget which things I've talked about on this podcast, but it was a big deal. So, I, um, maybe I'll just tell you guys like a little bit more, but it specifically, it was like right before mother's day, um, in that year, which I think I'm pretty, I think it was 2016. Um, yeah, 2016. It was right before Mother's Day, and I had a I, I knew that a lot of this, these problems I was having were related to my mom. Like, and, and I can't emphasize enough like how hard that was for me to even think. Like, I wanted so badly for my relationship with my parents to be something that we could fix, and around this time, um yeah, it just started becoming like, it just started becoming more and more clear to me that it wasn't going to go away. And that, um, 
that it had been worse than I thought. Like it, it just, you know, I had, I had tried, I had tried in my own mind to downplay like what had happened. Um, because I didn't want to have to be a person who had abusive parents. I mean, that's just not, that's not a thing that I wanted to own. It's not a thing that I wanted to have be true. Um, but yeah, I started kind of noticing a pattern of like, you know, I would have panic attacks after talking on the phone with my mom. And anyway, I had this particular conversation with her, like maybe a couple weeks before Mother's Day that was a bit of a light bulb. And I don't need to talk about all the specifics. Um, I'm, I'm happy to, if anybody has questions. Um, but, uh, anyway, I got off the phone with her and just thought like, oh my God, like I have got, this is, I have to do something about this. Like this is not sustainable. And, um, I didn't talk to her again from that date. Like I, I thought like, I, I gotta stop talking to her. Cause when I talk to her, um, I get really freaked out. Like it just like, it just became clear to me on that day. Like, oh, if I want to get better, like I've got to stop talking to my mom. So I had this thought. Um, I, I had this clear thought that day and like, I didn't talk on the phone. I had been talking on the phone with my mom, like most days, like I really would call her like most days from the time that, you know, pretty much from the time I left high school, um, until, until then. So, um, from, from, for about 10 years. Um, and, uh, Anyway, so that same day I went home and I started looking for a therapist. I found a therapist. It took, you know, several weeks to get in. Um, so it was, it was probably, you know, I don't know, like close to, close to, close to two months, um, m- maybe six weeks. Uh, so I went to my, so I, I filled up my therapy intake papers and in the intake papers, I wrote a whole bunch, you know, I wrote a lot and, and I said things like, I think my parents were emotionally abusive. Like I think especially my mom was emotionally abusive. Um, and then I went to two sessions of therapy and I didn't bring it up at all. I couldn't say it out loud. I couldn't do it. Um, I just talked with my therapist about, you know, my anxiety, my back pain. Um, and then my mom was diagnosed with brain cancer and, um, I was supposed to have a therapy appointment like the day before like or the day after she was diagnosed. And, and I'll say again, like I hadn't talked to her during this whole time. Like I, I hadn't, I hadn't talked to her. Um, and, uh, I had no idea that she was, um, I had no idea that she was having any problems. Like, um, there were people who were noticing her, like forgetting what time it was or, you know, which is very, was very unlike her. Um, she was having some cognitive problems and she was having really bad headaches. And I didn't know any of that. Cause like I had kind of stopped talking to her. Cause I was, I was like at this exact time, I was like, well, I need to like get better. Um, and, uh, anyway, I got a text message from my dad saying that, um, mom has a brain tumor and she's having surgery tomorrow. <clears throat> and it came totally out of nowhere. And again, like I, I really can't emphasize enough, like how, much kind of trauma like I was dealing with with my mom separate from that like it was a huge deal for me to stop talking to her it was a huge deal for me to um start therapy and like I was struggling with it so much that I couldn't even talk about it with my therapist so anyway 
all this to say, I called the therapist and I was like, I have to cancel tomorrow's appointment. My mom has been diagnosed with brain, with brain cancer um, and I'm going to fly home for her surgery. So I did that and um, it was really hard. <laughs> it was really, really hard. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about it. And then I went back the next week. So I was, I was in Arizona for probably five days. Um, I went back the next week um, to my regular therapy appointment and I still didn't bring it up. I didn't bring it up. Didn't talk about it. And my therapist was like, Hey, Emily, in your intake papers, um, you wrote that your mom was abusive. Um, and now your mom has this terminal illness and like, maybe we should talk about that. And I like lost it. I couldn't deal with it. I couldn't handle it. I like didn't know how to say any of it out loud. Um, I probably just sat and cried in her office for like at least 20 minutes. I like couldn't get a word out. Anyway, this is related to my art problem for reasons that may or may not be obvious to you guys as you're listening. But anyway, so that's where I was at at that point. Um, and I had just started kind of writing this new album. Um, and then like my life fell apart. And um, yeah, I mean, I really can't, I really can't emphasize like, how much, like how much this time in my life would have been like really, really difficult, even if my mom had not gotten sick. Like I made the decision to try to get better and to try to deal with some of that trauma, like right at the exact same time she got sick. Um, so I think the thing that I want to say about this time, um, Oh, maybe it's also important for me to have told you guys that when I released my first album, I, I maybe have slightly mentioned this, but I don't know that I've ever really told the story. But when I released Embark, um, I was really proud of it. And it felt, it felt to me like um, I had taken these things that were so important to me as a tiny child and made room for them. You know, even though, as I've said in this, little monologue here that I, uh, I was tentative and, and a bit fearful about some of those things. Like I did feel like, Hey, look, I made room for this. Like there's evidence of it. Like here it is these kind of like more magical things. And I don't, I felt like at that time, so that was 2012. So that was four years before this other stuff was happening. I felt like I really wanted my parents to see like, I really wanted them to kind of go like, oh, we didn't know you were capable of this. Like we didn't know this is what those things meant or what they could be. And like I kind of knew it, but I was very scared about it. And um, before Embark was out, I like I had gotten the hard copies of the CDs and I hadn't like released the album yet. And I mailed one to my mom like before anyone else had heard it. Like at this point, I think Andrew was the only person who'd heard it. And, you know, the guys who played on the record and I mailed a copy to my mom and I wanted so badly for her to be like, oh, Emily, I didn't know. Like at this point, like she hadn't heard any of my original music, you know, really had like very rarely heard me sing at all um, since I had finished high school, you know, so in five years and uh, I didn't hear anything from her like for for days and days and days and maybe a, a, over a week. Um, and I called her on the phone and 
was like, hey, mom, um, I sent you, did you get my album? And she was kind of like, she just went like, like literally just like this. She was like, oh yeah, I, I got it. And I was like, well, did you listen to it? And she was like, no, I haven't listened to it. And I was like crushed, of course, like fully crushed. And I was like, please listen to it. Please listen to it. This means so much to me. Um, and another several days went by and I didn't hear from her. And I called her again um, and was like, mom, did you listen to my album? <laughs> like, you know, this is a big deal. It was all original music. And, you know, I had invested like $10,000 into it of my own money that I earned freaking like, you know, I was, I had started saving that money when I was like te working at Bath and Body Works, um, for, for the album, for the house. Like, uh, then I was giving, you know, tours. Like it, it wasn't, uh, what I'm trying to say is it wasn't easy for me to save that money. I was giving tours on campus, um, you know, starting to teach private lessons. Anyway, it was a big deal to me. That's my point to, to have this album for, for many, many reasons, for practical reasons and for like emotional reasons. And my mom was like, yeah, yeah, I listened to it. And I was like, well, what did you think? And she goes like literally exactly like this. Um, yeah, it was good. And I just felt like a wave of like, I don't know, shame, sadness, grief, like so many things. And I was like, like, please say more. Like, what did you think? And she was like, I don't know what you want me to say, Emily. I'm not a musician. And that was all she ever said to me about it, period. That's all she ever said to me about it. So, you know, that was 2012. And then heading into these next four years, like th this was not an insignificant thing. <laughs> um, anyway, so again, like these, this relationship with my mom and my, my parents, um, was certainly related to me kind of not knowing how to proceed with my artistry. And, um, then, you know, fast forwarding back to mom being sick. Um, and this is at the same time when I'm kind of feeling like I have got to get some of this back. Like, I don't know how to reconnect with this part of myself. Like, I feel like I've lost it. I feel like I can't find it. I, or I don't know how to, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. Um, and during the two years that my mom was sick before she died, um, I was writing a lot. I was doing a lot of therapy. I was figuring out a lot of things. I was trying to reconnect to this, this, um, you know, this other part of myself. Um, and I wasn't talking about it with anybody because I couldn't talk about it without talking about my mom. And I, I didn't want to draw, like, I didn't want to draw any attention to myself during that time. I didn't want to take anything away from her. Um, so I was grieving her and recovering from that, you know, while she was sick, but not talking about it with anybody. Um, and I was writing a lot. I was, like I said, I was kind of, um, gathering up this, um, this, th these pieces of my, my, artistry and the, the pieces of my identity that do feel so precious to me. Um, it, but I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't talk about it cause I, um, I, I, it was, it was my mom's time and I didn't, you know, 
I, I thought, well, I can wait a couple more years and it's already been like 30, you know, I can wait a little bit of time. Um, and then after my mom died, um, I wrote the last song for masks, which was mother. Um, and it, it just was so clear to me that that project was complete and then, you know, I think because of the fact that that last song is called Mother, I mean, if you guys haven't listened to that album yet, um, a lot of it is about my mom and about, um, you know, a lot of those kinds of grief things that, um, those, those really difficult things, um, family and religion that, uh, kind of I felt like we're preventing me from like being myself, which is why the album's called Masks. I mean, my my mom was wearing a mask. I, I felt like the institutions that were part of my life um, were, were masking a lot of things. And I felt like I was wearing a lot of masks for these really like practical reasons. Um, like it was just survival, you know? So when I finished the album, I thought, well, I can't release this anytime soon. <laughs> Um, because, uh, it just felt wrong. It just felt wrong. So I had been dealing with these things for years and I felt ready. Like I felt personally really ready and it just, it just felt wrong. Like I felt like everyone who loved my mom was grieving. Um, so, you know, I waited a year, I waited a year to talk about it, even though I had been thinking about it for all of this time. <laughs> like I was like, you know, in a lot of ways I was, I was kind of done thinking about it or done thinking about these parts of it. Um, but by the time she died, um, anyway, so I waited another year. Um, I, I started kind of, uh, prepping for the album. Um, like I, I released, um, these, uh, I, I released these essays, um, talk, kind of talking about, what the album was coming from, um, in 2019 and then, um, kind of released, I, I start, talked more about the album and kind of was finishing things up and gathering all the visuals and, um, you know, doing all this kind of, all of this creative work throughout that year and then, re and then release the album in May of 2020. Um, so, you know, I, I think like, the, the thing that's important for me to say is, is that during this time from when I started writing the album to when I released it, so, you know, about 20, 2015, um, 2015 was when I wrote the first song to 2020 when the album came out, um, I was doing a lot of this work internally, um, but not feeling like I could really like live it externally for a lot of reasons, like because of my mom being sick and then because of my mom having just died because I was teaching at BYU and, um, I, I needed to, you know, be carefully close that chapter and do right by my students before kind of moving on. Um, so I think, I think like when I released masks, oh, also here's the thing that I, maybe have mentioned like once or twice and I really haven't talked about in any particular way, but, um, I went no contact with my dad in April of 2020. Um, and I, 
we'll probably talk more about that at some point, but, um, you know, suffice it to say, like, it was a decision that I never wanted to have to make, but I had to make. Um, so there were all these things going on. I feel like I was, you know, really trying to move toward, um, a self, a version of myself that could be a little bit more seamless, um, between, you know, my internal life and my ex, you know, what I'm, what I'm presenting. Um, and then of course, like there's a pandemic. And so, you know, some of that like energy has been a little stunted, I think. And then the other thing that I've really, really felt since masks came out, um, and just over the last, you know, since I, since I released those first essays introducing masks in 2019, um, I have really felt a lot of conflict about, yeah, I felt a lot of conflict between who I think I am as an artist and, and as a human, as a person, um, and how I think I'm perceived or received or, you know, I don't know. Um, I've felt like a fair amount of pushback in the last two years. Like, you know, this maybe some version of like this, come on, Emily, like this isn't really who you are when that isn't really the truth. It's kind of the opposite. Um, which again is kind of what masks was all about. Um, but in the last, like since masks came out in May of 2020 and it's now March of 2021. So kind of, it's almost been another year. I've been thinking a lot about the part that I play in these, um, problems in these phenomenon. And I think that I still have a lot of fear, um, and kind of permission issues and kind of like worthfulness and worthiness issues around being an artist. Um, I feel really conflicted about it. So, you know, at the beginning of this monologue, which I thought was going to be like 10 minutes long, but I'm thinking out loud, um, trying to kind of, I don't know, connect some dots maybe for myself and anyone who's listening. Um, when I was little, I felt pulled between these kind of dreamier, more magical, ephemeral, esoteric, like um, these kind of intangible, artistic um, roots, like matter. Um, and these things that were more actively creative um, that I felt like I was allowed to kind of pursue. So that is a conflict that I have been experiencing for as long as I can remember since I was like really, really very, very small, like six years old, maybe. Um, and I continue to feel that pull and kind of conflict between those things now. And, you know, because I haven't really talked about this very much, it's really difficult for me to say or to know how much of these things I'm like sort of projecting onto others. Um, and projecting onto the feedback that I get, like how much of this is just my own fear um, and how much of it is like actual misunderstanding and actual, um, you know, 
other people um, telling me like, you're allowed to do this and not this. You're like, we will accept these things from you and not these other things. Um, and like I said, since masks came out and the pandemic has been so, um, you know, quiet in some ways and kind of, I don't know, um, there's been time, uh, in a way that maybe sometimes there usually wouldn't be, um, I've been thinking again about the part that I play and, and the possibility that, um, that some of the reason why, like, I still am continue like, experiencing these conflicts is just kind of my own invention, possibly. I don't know. <laughs> like, it's hard for me to say. I, I do think there is, like, hard evidence that I can point to of, you know, people who I care about and also people who are strangers, um, you know, reflecting back at me that, like, I, that I don't make sense, that I, that I, that, um, there are things that feel conflicting and therefore maybe feel disingenuous or something. Uh, and again, you know, th the way that I'm thinking about this is there's, there's a conflict between these, you know, what I'm calling like these active parts of me, cre my creativity and these kind of more personal, quiet, like kind of, um, intangible things. And that the way that I embody either of those two things, like maybe they don't I haven't quite integrated them. Um, I, I haven't really been able to. Um, so it occurs to me that I bring some of this kind of problem on myself um, by separating these things too much. Um, like these kind of active creative things, they are this podcast. Um those are things that feel like there are these beautiful glimmers and moments in this podcast, I feel, um, of this kind of more magical type of art feeling and art sensibility. But a lot of it and a lot of the drivers are these kind of more actionable um, creative impulses, which again are super valuable to me and things that I would never want to stop or, um, disintegrate. Um, so, and then meanwhile, I have, you know, my, my writing, my music writing that embodies like all of these other things for me, um, that feel very, um, like emotional and, uh, impractical, you know, like they just feel, um, I don't know. And I think sometimes I feel that maybe those things are not wanted from me that maybe, um, yeah, I feel, I feel fear and insecurity about it for all of these totally justifiable reasons. Um, and I do make room for it. Like, that is, it is vulnerable for me to have written now three albums and, you know, I think they're increasingly vulnerable and increasingly kind of pure, um, manifestations of these other parts of my identity. But I think because those things are so 
like encapsulated in their own little worlds and they're not integrated into these other parts of my creativity, like the podcast, like maybe some of the writing that I do, some of the prose writing that I do, maybe the, some, you know, the teaching that I do, which again, like all of these things are precious to me. Like I never want to lose them, but I think that maybe in the kind of compartmentalizing of these things, I undervalue both of them, maybe. I kind of don't know because I, like I said, I tend to, I tend to process out loud um, in conversation. And these are things that I've only very, very recently even thought about how to possibly articulate or confront. So all of this to say, it is my intention moving forward to try my very best to integrate these things better um, and to try to lead a little bit more with the things that I feel more scared of. Um, like maybe I almost sometimes feel like I can release these projects that feel more like that, that come from these more like fragile, like delicate parts of my artistry, I can release them next to a giant, like vast pool of the types of creativity and artistry that feel safer to me, like the podcast. Um, and I don't know, like if my more sensitive creations are not like wholeheartedly received, I can pad some of that, um, like hurt with all of this kind of productivity. Um, and again, like, it's not to say that like the, the, the more actionable parts of the creativity are like not worth so much to me. So again, my intention is not to get rid of anything. My intention is just to try my best to be more integrated um, and to put uh, these more um, like quiet, fragile parts of my artistry like in the front more frequently. And if you are still listening at this point in this monologue, I have to assume that you're a person who um, cares about me or, um, that, or art in general in a way that, um, like you, you may be like are sensitive to some of these things as well. Um, so, you know, I guess what I'm maybe saying is like, feel free to hold me accountable. Um, and I'll try my best like this, this do, doing this, like taking this action right now is like, I'm trying to hold myself accountable too. Um, so what this might look like, um, what this might look like, it's going to start out with small, small things. So last week I purchased a new domain name. I haven't switched anything over yet, so there's nothing, there's nothing in the, the new no domain. But when I, when I purchased the domain name emvocals.com, that was like, you know, leading first with my identity as like a teacher, like it, it, it underemphasizes a lot of things. And that was the domain name that I bought in like, you know, 2014 peak 
peak unstable, peak trauma, peak anxiety. So I bought a new main, new domain name, which is emilymerrillmusic.com. And that, you know, might seem like a small thing, but it feels kind of like a big thing to me. So I'm switching that over. Um, and you guys may not remember that I used to have the theme music for this podcast be um, something that I didn't write. And um, a while ago, like maybe in the fall, I switched over to having um, my song As You Are be the theme music. And that also felt like that felt really scary to me. Like, I know that might sound like kind of silly. Um, yeah, like even just that, I mean, that's, in, that's the kind of integration that I'm talking about. And it's so small because I can't tell you enough, like how scary these things feel to me sometimes. Um, so, you know, that's, that's, a, that's an action that I've already taken that, um, cause I, you know, I guess it's, evidence that I have been thinking about these things for a, a while, making that change. Um, you know, I, I have been thinking about this kind of like ad segment that I have on the podcast. Um, you know, I, I told you guys a bunch of times, I don't make any money from those, but I like the idea of supporting ethical businesses and artful businesses. Um, and I think I, I, I want to keep doing some of that, but I think what I'm going to do is just not try to have one all the time and maybe just, you know, run, you know, an, an, a, a little feature for, um, businesses that I, that I want to support, you know, when, when I, when it's natural. Um, so it might happen sometimes it might not I'm still trying to figure that part out. Um, I might be a little bit less, um, programmatic about, my guests, like, you know, I might kind of try, I might try out, um, being a little bit less careful about trying to like balance the mediums that I'm interviewing and just think more about like, who do I want to talk to? Um, you know, I've been, I tried to be careful over the last two years, not to have too many musicians in a row, but the fact is I know a lot of musicians and the people that I really, uh, that I already know that I want to talk to are frequently musicians and that's just normal, I guess. Um, so of course I, I'm going to keep trying to get in touch with visual artists and writers and filmmakers and, um, uh, textile fashion people, um, photographers, you know, whatever, all these things. Um, but I might interview more musicians cause those are the people that I know already. Um, and again, like that's probably something that nobody would even notice or care, but it's something that I am going to think about differently. Um, and then I think just in terms of like, again, this is so small, like it's probably something that nobody even thinks about, but it feels really big to me. And so I'm, I'm telling you, um, but little things like what kinds of things I post on my like Facebook artist page, what kinds of things I post on my like, you know, main Instagram grid. Um, I'm going to try to focus more and post more of the things that feel, um, more vulnerable, more of the vulnerable, um, parts of my artistry and let these other things just take a, a little bit of a backseat. So anyway, that's all, that's kind of everything I wanted to say. My intention moving forward again is to integrate more of these things. I'm working on this new album. 
um, that feels so beautiful to me. Like I, when I talk about it with people, I'm certain that I underemphasize it a little bit because I get scared. I get scared that people will not, there, there isn't room for me to be that kind of artist. Like that's really how I feel, um, sometimes. And, and how can I expect anybody to make room if like, I don't make room. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, the truth is the way that I feel about this new music that I've written that, um, I'm, you know, in the process of recording right now and, and building, you know, I'm very intentional about all the visuals and, um, you know, um, yeah, I feel really excited about this new music and I don't just feel like, oh my gosh, I'm excited about it. I feel like it's, um, it's a, it's, it more clearly, uh, and seamlessly translates these, um, these parts of my artistic self that I feel like I've been trying to nurture and reconnect with from when I was so little. Um, this, this new project feels like it's doing that in a new way, even, even more than masks, even more than embark more than anything I've done. And I just want to, um, I feel like I owe it to like the mute, the music to not try to like tuck it in with all of these other things that feel safer to me. Um, so I, I still want to keep making all these other things that, that do feel safer, but also feel so precious. Um, I don't want to stop doing any of those things. And that includes this podcast that includes writing prose that includes teaching. Um, that includes my songwriting course, which I also feel like really, really magical about. Um, but I, I really want to make a careful effort to, um, yeah, just, um, put my music, uh, like in the hierarchy of these other things, like where it belongs, which is at the top. I think, I think it belongs at the top, even though like I haven't treated it like that for ever, you know, I've never have. Um, but I want you to know that the reason I haven't is not because I don't feel like it's really important. It's just because I feel scared about it. I feel scared about, um, yeah, what kind of artistic identity I am allowed to have, what people will permit me to do, what parts of me people will accept and love. And like anyone, the thing that I need more than anything is love and belonging. That's like our main thing. And I get really scared that if I lead with the type of art that I want to lead with, that I will have less love and belonging. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've made these big decisions. I went no contact with my dad, which feels like a really, really big thing that needed to happen. And again, I didn't want it to happen. Um, but I think it needed to happen. And, um, yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to live a, a more seamless life between what I feel inside and what I project outside. Um, and all of these things are part of it. So I'm trying to honor, I'm trying to honor these, these really hard decisions that I've had to make. Um, 
and to say, you know, to anyone who's listening that like, I'm going to do my best to just like kind of come as I am and hope that there will be love and belonging waiting there for me. Um, and you know, one thing that I love about this podcast is I think I do a really good job of extending love and belonging to all of my guests and, um, paying that thing that I want so badly, like forward and kind of like honoring the minutia of the experience of my guests. Um, that is what that means to me. Like that is me trying to connect that love like outward in a way that, um, I want it so badly to be extended toward me. Um, yeah, so that's it. Those are my, those are my resolutions for the future. Um, and especially as I am getting ready to introduce you to this new music that I love. Um, yeah, I just wanted to kind of preface that. So this is the second anniversary or, you know, March is the second anniversary of this podcast, which has been such an important part of my own getting in touch with my own identity by talking with other artists about theirs. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping that I can move into a new chapter, um, of my own artistic identity. And I hope that, um, you, whoever you are, will be there and you'll still want it and you'll still uh, be here with me. That's it. Um, I have great episodes lined up for the rest of this month and I have great episodes lined up for April and May and um, I'm excited and scared. (laughs) So thanks for being here with me and for, um, you know, everything. It means a lot to me. And I love you and goodbye.